0: And we will get started with the Bible study. It is so good to see you here this morning. I I just can't tell you. It's it's partly because God has given me a pastor's heart. But certain of your faces when I, I see you, especially if I haven't seen you for a while, it just fills my heart and, and, and it's just so uh, strengthening for me to see you here in worship this morning and especially a few of you faces I haven't seen for a while and particularly so those of you who are visiting here for this, during the summertime. It's really good to see you again. So we have been doing a topical study on discipleship. Specifically, what we have been doing is looking at four different words that I believe, in a very simple way, characterize what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're halfway through. We've gone through growing and giving. And under each word, there are three phrases. Growing in the word, in the spirit, and in the faith and the giving of our time of our talents and of our treasures and we've been looking at the why and the how of each one of those and here's what i want to do this morning with regards to what has gone before the words that we've looked at is i want to once again challenge you to begin to make changes in your walk with the Lord, incorporating some of the things that you've learned, either through my teaching here on Sunday morning or in your own personal Bible study. Because this is about application. That's what being a disciple really means. It's not just head knowledge, but it's really about following after Jesus Christ. Going where he goes. Doing what he does. And Oftentimes it is the case, I certainly found this to be true in my life, that I'm not, occasionally not headed in the right direction. And I need to make a course adjustment. And so as we learn about what it means to be a disciple, to follow after Jesus Christ, there will come moments where the Holy Spirit convicts you. And you know, without any shadow of a doubt, that there's a change that you need to make. And I challenge you to be brave, to be strong, to be courageous, and to make those changes, to do the difficult things and walk after Jesus Christ, even when it is not popular, even when it is not easy. Because in in the long run, you will be better for it. Every teaching i come to through this series as i i sit at my desk and i begin to prepare the message i think oh this is the most important thing of all of it i get to it and i think glorifying wow is there a more important aspect to being a true disciple of jesus christ than bringing glory to god but the reality is each one of them are important each one of them weigh in into a balanced life of discipleship. So we are on the term glorifying. And it is part of our responsibility as disciples of Jesus Christ to bring glory to God through our lives, whether it's through worship, through love, or through testimony, through our lives to glorify God. Now, the term glorify in the Greek is "doxal. It's uh, an adjective, literally, of uh, doxa, which doxa, it's a word that essentially means to give something its just or due worth. So when we look at God and we see his glory, we give him the just and due worth that he is uh, worthy of. Daxazo means to bring glory to him. God has an innate glory that he possesses, but when we glorify him, we bring him glory through our lives. And we're going to be looking this morning at the why of glorifying God through worship. In order to do that, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to the book of Revelation. We're going to look at Verse 11 in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. Heavenly Father, as we enter into this study, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be renewed, and that we would see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him So our purpose, literally, according to these theologians, is to glorify God and to enjoy His presence. And that's what we're going to be talking about here this morning as we get into the whys of glorifying Him through worship. We are in the throne room of God here in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. And what we see occurring there is active worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That is what the four living creatures say day and night, forever and ever, before the throne of God. And at the conclusion of chapter 4, and verse 11, we read this. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being later in chapter 5 the 24 elders or in the four living creatures are singing a song and they say you are worthy to the lamb to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then later in chapter 5, once again in a loud voice they say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the felder, elders fell down and worshiped. So, worship is literally the economy of heaven. It's the activity that we as believers, when we go to heaven, will be constantly engaged in. And we worship God, and we'll talk about this in in some detail. We worship God because it says in verse 11 of chapter 4 that he is worthy. What that means, the, the Greek there is axios, and what it literally means is he has been examined and found to be worthy. There is an innate, inherent worth that... God possesses, and we worship him because he is worthy. And we must understand that. Sometimes people get a little bit confused about worship, and they think, well, why does God require worship? Doesn't that seem a little bit egotistical? But the fact is that God, by his very nature, because of the attributes he possesses, As creator, as the all-knowing, as the all-powerful, as the good and the gracious God that he is. Because of his inherent nature, he is worthy. The right response, the appropriate interaction with this being who is worthy because of his attributes is worship. To respond in any other fashion is to miss the mark or, literally, sin. We worship because he is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. Now, sometimes we don't understand that. We don't appreciate the reality that God is worthy. There was a time where I flew into Chicago And I landed at the airport there. And some distance off, I could see the skyline of Chicago. And on one end of the skyline was the John Hancock Building. And on the other end of the skyline was the Sears Tower. I think it's been renamed now. But two skyscrapers, both well over 100 stories tall. But off in the distance, I thought to myself, they look rather small. Almost manageable. But then I got into a taxi and drove downtown, and as it happened, my hotel was a block away from the Sears Tower. All of a sudden, it didn't seem so small. It wasn't as manageable as it appeared on the tarmac at the airport. And that is how it is with God. From a distance, when we don't really understand who he is, he can seem manageable. In fact, sometimes what we do is we create false gods rather than worshiping the true and the living God as a replacement in order to maintain that manageability because we humans like to have our gods manageable. We like to be able to control them. And yet, we don't understand that God is the one who holds our very life and breath in his hand. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Romans. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. So when we do not understand that God is worthy and that the right response to that worthiness is worship, we are prone to divest ourselves of the true value of worship in relationship with God and enter into something far less where we worship ourselves, where we worship the creeping things of the ground. And we're diminished because of it. We glorify God through worship. Why? Because He is worthy. He is the creator. He is the one that has given life and breath to each one of us. And we must understand that. He is the one who oversees every aspect of our lives. He knows the very intents of our heart. And He loves us. He gave himself for us. He is worthy. So we worship God because of his worthiness. And as we enter into an understanding of his worthiness, we, like John the Baptist, are likely to say, he must increase and I must decrease. Like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said he had a vision of the Lord, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, exalted in his throne room. The train of his robe filled the temple, Isaiah said. And Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he had the proper response. He recognized God's worthiness, and he said to himself, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the most high. And that is our response. It ought to be our our reality when we enter into an understanding of who the, the true and the living God is. We, like Isaiah, should say we are undone. And yet, the grace of God God sent an angel who took a, a coal from the fire before the throne and took it and touched Isaiah's lips. And he says, through this you are cleansed. Your sins are atoned for. So we have this experience of humility that rises up in us when we begin to understand the worthiness of God. We decrease. He increases. But within that humility within that understanding of how limited we are and how unlimited and infinite he is, there is also meaning and purpose and value that comes. Because in that scene where Isaiah was, after he recognized his unworthiness before the the living God, after that, the Lord said, Who will go for us? Whom shall we send? And in response to that, Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. So because of the atonement, because he had entered into a recognition of the worthiness of God, because he understood that it was God who had atoned for his sin, Isaiah was empowered to serve, empowered to worship. So we must understand that we glorify God through worship because He is worthy in every respect. But also we see here in verse eleven that we worship to give something unto God. Second half, there, a second line. He is worthy what? To receive. Isn't that fascinating? Stop and think about that for just a moment here. You can give something to God. Here it says that he is worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive something from you. What? Glory, honor, and power. So the proper response to his worthiness is to give worship unto him. Now, what is worship? I want, I want to break this down a little bit because sometimes we get confused. I mean, we have song worship, the praise team, the choir, Alicia on the piano. All of us musically uh, play songs that lift up worship unto God. But worship is, is really about so much more than just singing. Singing is essentially a means of reinforcing worship. Remember what I said, doxa, glory. Glory. Daxazo, giving glory to God. That's really what worship is. It's about giving unto God his just due. And it's about entering into relationship with God on those terms. It says in Psalm 22, verse 3, that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Another translation says that the Lord is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. So literally, when we praise God, when we enter into that worship relationship with him, where we are giving him glory, honor, and power, he is enthroned. He inhabits that, and we are in his very presence. It's a relational thing. Worship is a relational thing. You see, God is infinite, and we are not. And everything that you understand about God that is accurate, you understand about God because he has revealed it to you. You have not discovered it. You have not gone around the corner and snuck up on God and figured something out about him that he did not intend you to know. That's not how it works. But this is how it works. God reveals himself to us through his word, by his spirit. He tells us what he wants us to know. And throughout eternity, throughout the ages, this is going to be the case. There will come a time where we will dwell in the presence of God. Talks about that in the New Jerusalem, there in Revelation 21 and 22. We will be in the presence of God. He will illuminate the city for us, and we will see him face to face because we will be like him the Apostle John said. But God remains infinite, and at that point, we will remain finite. God will always be unveiling himself to us. That's part of the glory of eternity. Eternity will not be boring, church. Eternity is going to be an amazing experience where where this cycle continues, where God unveils himself to us. And as God unveils himself to us in a new way, we respond to that unveiling with an acknowledgement, a recognition, an ascribing to God of this new attribute or quality that he possesses. And so he unveils and we acknowledge and ascribe. And through that process, then, we are elevated to a new plane of relationship with him. We understand him in a deeper and a more intimate way. And because of that, we are transformed. That's the whole process. That is the whole will of God. It says here in verse 11 in in Revelation 4 that By his will, they were created and have their being. Well, what ultimately is the will of God? Well, there are a lot of ways that we could respond to that, but at least one aspect of the will of God is found in Romans chapter 8. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. So part of the will of God is that you are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that you become like Him. Now, did you know that you become like that which you worship? That which you worship, you begin to look like. We see that in popular culture, don't we? In popular culture, what do the kids do when there's a new pop star on the scene? They begin to dress like that person. They begin to act like that person. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, "Where is their god? Our god is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases." But the idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will become like them. So will be all who trust in them. So we become like that which we worship. Again, the will of God in worship is that we become more like him because he unveils himself. To us, we acknowledge that unveiling. We ascribe glory to Him because of it. We enter into a more intimate understanding of and relationship with Him as a result. And ultimately, we are transformed from glory to glory into the very image of Jesus Christ. That's what worship does. That's what worship is about. It's it's about growing into relationship and likeness with God. Moses had a very intimate relationship with God. He would go up onto the mountain and stand in the Shekinah glory of God. And as a result, Moses' face would shine when he came down from the mountaintop. And he would walk into the camp and the people would see the shining of Moses' face. But Paul says we have something better than what Moses had. Listen to this. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would have to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing what was passing away because the the shine on Moses' face would ultimately fade away. And Moses didn't want the folks to see that, so he put a veil over him. But their minds were made dull, for to this very day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this very day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But Listen to this. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now, where the Lord is the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces contemplating the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you want to know what you're going to be spending eternity doing? Entering into the presence of God as he unveils yet another layer of his glory to you. And in response... To that, you will worship. You will ascribe glory to him because of that. And ultimately, you will be transformed glory to glory throughout the ages as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Why do we glorify God through worship? Because he is worthy. Because we have something to give through the grace that he has bestowed upon us. Just as with Isaiah, we have something to contribute to God. We can give Him our praise and our worship. And ultimately, it's about relationship, it's about being in the presence of God and becoming something that we were never like before. That's what happens when you worship. You become like he who you worship. There's a story in the Old Testament we'll conclude with this. David had committed a grievous sin. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Had Bathsheba's husband killed in battle to try to cover the sin. But Nathan the prophet called David's sins to account. And David confessed his sin. God graciously forgave him of his sin. And David entered into a time of fasting and prayer before God, hoping that God would have mercy on him and spare the life of the child. A very dark and difficult time for David. But the child died as God said it would. But all the servants were uncertain about what to do because David had been been grieving and fasting and praying and, and, and just seeking God while the child was alive? What was he to do now that the child was dead? How would they tell him? Their lives might be on the line. This was the great King David. But they did. They went and told David. Actually, what happened was David saw the change in the countenance on their face, and he said, is the child dead? And they said, yeah. Do you know what David did? The very first thing David did, he cleansed himself, he anointed his head, and he went in to the temple of God and he worshipped. Why? Had things turned out well? No. Because God was worthy. In that moment, David understood the worthiness of God. And he took the proper response to give God glory. And David was transformed, was changed, as each one of us will be, as we glorify God through worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come into your very presence. You invite us into worship into that relationship where you unveil yourself to us time after time after time again. Lord, I I was just reading an article this week that indicated that the universe could possess some 70 billion trillion stars. That's just overwhelming. And that's just the, the known universe. As the writer to Ecclesiastes say, all the works of God are hidden. The mind of man. We'll never know your full glory, but you will constantly reveal it to us. And so I, I pray for this congregation, Lord. I pray for each one of us, beginning with myself, that we would become a people like David who understand worship, who engage in that relational experience with you, and who grow through it. Let your light shine in us and among us, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. We're going to sing that hymn, How Great Thou Art.